This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Walton's, Nutrisource Pet Foods, Aluma Trailers, and by Onyx Hunt. My guest today is Ben Bredigan from Onyx Hunt. Ben and I will discuss their 40X campaign that just raised $2 million for wildlife habitat, how this concept began, and how you all stepped up to make it happen. Plus, we'll find out if there are any more massive fundraisers in the works. Hunting season might be over, but that doesn't mean it's time to mope around the house and hang your head. That's because it's meat season. Now is a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton, sitting next to me, as always, produces this program. Good morning, Brandon. How are you today? Doing well, Travis. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And our friend Ben Bredigan, a regular of the show. Ben and I live next to each other, so it's just convenient always to have Ben on the show. And, well, we just enjoy having him. Uh, today, though, uh, we get to celebrate, Ben. A major celebration. I had this... Um, this uh, news release show up yesterday, and I had, we had already had this scheduled, but the news release came in. Onyx Hunt 40X event helps raise $2 million for conservation access projects in Minnesota. And then, of course, it explains more in detail, which is what we had planned on talking about anyway yeah. today. But my goodness, congratulations. Well, we'll, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah. But- but yeah, it's uh, you know, and that's that's that two million dollar number. That is thanks to Pheasants Forever and and what they're able to do. But and a lot of listeners here too. Yeah, I mean, exactly. A lot of people. We'll we'll break that down. Before we do though, let's do this, Brandon. The last couple episodes, we've thrown out a fact. I think we'll start out with another fact, just to kind of help people learn a little bit about the birds, the the hunting world. I just have been grabbing a fact every week, Ben. So there you go. When was the first chucker partridge introduced to America? I've got like PTSD from your live event. You did. <laughs> I feel like Ron Bame. Sorry, Ronnie. Uh, Springer Spaniel. No. <laughs> <laughs> we should. Add, okay. And so as long as you bring this up, there was controversy in uh, uh, one of the questions that I asked. Um, Drot was the answer given and that was from scott and i said that is not correct because a draught is different from a german wire-haired pointer yep. you are a draught owner mm -hmm. are they the same dog then no they are not so i mean a a german wire-haired pointer is registered through the akc ukc whatever yep i can't remember but a, a deutsch draught hire is is registered through the vdd gna which is a verein deutsch draught hire 
Um, and so they are completely separate breed registry. Ooh. While they might look the same, it'd be like calling a griff a uh, wire hair. <sighs> so I... Yes! Yes! So there, I did do the correct thing by saying I cannot accept that answer. No. And a lot of people, you know, would argue that, but nope, they are. They are different. They are different. Genetically, they're different. They are not the same. Yeah, I've had a, I've had a number of conversations with, uh, like, actually geneticists about it. Because, like, people argue because technically you could take a Drothar um, and bring it outside of the breed outside and breed it to a wire hair. So there is... You could dual register it, register it with the AKC, and then breed it as a German wire hair. You could do that. But, um, you know, that, that drought line, I can't remember how many generations, but, I mean, it's been like, oh, what, it was like in the 20s or something like that. So there's been a breeding program where the droughts can only breed to droughts, and they have to be tested, et cetera, for, since the 30s. So um, genetically, they have yeah. to be different. Take that, Ron Bame. <laughs> Scott Franson, take that. <laughs> there we go. And I trust you on this because you were the originator, the creator of the Drotcast. Yep. And a podcast that you started how long ago? I think it was back in like 2018. How seven, long did that nine? last? How long I did it for like three years, I think. Did you really? Yep. No, not three years. Two that years? would be 2021. Not true. Probably not that long. I don't know. I did it for a couple of years. I got through all of the testing system and then it was just like I, you know you could keep doing more but the goal was for for to educate people and mm-hmm. kind of felt like i hit that limit where it's like you know we can make stuff up to talk about but. sure like brandon and i do absolutely <laughs> yeah well and the beauty part of podcasts is it's out there forever yeah. but once you put that information that that educational information people can still bring it up yeah okay so yours still exists right all those episodes are still it's, out there it's it's actually on a website somewhere um, it's not even on like, you don't even know where, no, it's, it's yours. A, I know, but I don't do anything with it anymore. I got a, I've got a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do, but yeah, if somebody now is intrigued about this, I'll, I'll, we'll have to, I'll dig it up. Yeah. I'll, I'll do some searching during the show. So yeah. Okay. If, it's on like Brandon, some obscure uh, website. Ben, tell Brandon what, what he should start searching. I, I don't even know. I'll, I'll, Somebody told me it was on this other website. It's your show. It was my show. <laughs> but how do you not know where it lives anymore? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so your favorite episode dis- discussions of- that you hosted on that show, what would they have been? Um, my favorite episodes would probably been, uh, you know, so I got to talk a lot with Mike Fortner, uh, Dillman Fast Radahars, who I got Annie and Herbie from. Mm-hmm. And... He was just a wealth of knowledge. He's he's on pretty pretty good blood tracker. Um, so he has done done a, a tremendous amount of blood tracking work and like just above and beyond where you're getting into such nuanced things when you're talking about running like 20 hour tracks and 40 hour tracks. Dang. And so like everything that goes into it and how to read the dog. Found it. You found it? <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's on a it's on a site called Podtail. But all you really have to look up, literally all I looked up is a the the Drothar podcast and it's a second thing. There you go. There so, it is. Bingo. It's called Good the Drothcast. It's right up there. It's easy to find. By the way, I do have a quick. We never answered the question. I'm mm-hmm. coming okay, back. Okay, I'm good. Coming I was back. just gonna say. Yeah. So, uh, well, could I pull a George Lyle and be like, it's the the Chucker Partridge? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So when was the first Chucker Partridge introduced to America? Not Hungarian Partridge. Yeah. 
yeah. the chucker. Um, yeah. And by the way, there are eight subspecies of partridge. I learned that in my um, questioning for the live show. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see here. What about like, well, this is just a shot in the dark, but like 1916. Brandon, you have a guess? No, I've got Wikipedia, so it's not. Oh. Mm. <laughs> According, <clears throat> well, the earliest introduction of Chucker to the United States is believed to have occurred in 1893 when an Illinois man imported five pairs from India according to a history published by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. So a guy from Illinois imported him to <laughs> Illinois? I'm just, I, I don't make this up. I'm just reading the information that has been printed. See, this we were talking about this before, but it's like it's this weather, this snow that's got me all, I'm coming off a little hot. <laughs> I, am, I am in such a funk. Honestly, I hate to, you know, people always want to talk about the weather. I don't. I get annoyed by it. Um, you know, we're all living in it. We don't need to talk about it. Yeah, winter's taking forever up here. But honestly, it's affecting that little white dog over there that's passed out in the corner. It's affecting me. I need to get out. I am not an avid indoorsman. Uh-uh. And I was talking to my wife about this because last night she goes, you're just becoming a grumpy old man, a grouchy old man. I was like, ouch. No, I'm not. And I was like, <laughs> why well, would you say that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I was like, well, it's just. Maybe it's just today. I'm not having a good day. This was yesterday. I was like, and, and she goes, no, it's more than that. I'm like, well, so of course I don't want to be that way, but I, I don't know if it's the seasonal depression or things, yeah, yeah. you know, like, like I need sunlight. I need that vitamin D. I need fresh air. I need exercise. Yep. I'm sitting in a chair so much that my back hurts right now. I'm not, I, maybe I am getting, I am getting older, my posture, we all are, but my posture over. sucks. Yeah. I'm not active. I'm just becoming a grouch. This is de- just not fun. To be fair, this is so far, we still have more snow possibly coming, but in what Minnesota, are you doing right now? In, but I'm just saying in Minnesota, it's our eighth yeah. largest snowfall total in history. So that probably has a big part to do with it. I mean, it's winter yeah. and non-hunting mm-hmm. season on top of it, but we've been digging ourselves out every day as well. So. I think there's a lot to play this winter with how everybody's getting moody. Well, I, yeah, I can tell you what we were out at George's last year, two weeks ago already. I think we were out On there bare for the ground. First time. Yeah, you and I we were ground. training. Yeah. Still one of the top podcasts that I hear from listeners hmm. about because we talked about the foundation, creating that foundation in, in a puppy. And that's still that day I like I specifically remember watching Rip. George's mm-hmm. young pointer um, go from seeing that bird for the first time to by the end of the day, locking up on point out in big open CRP. I mean, we took those dogs. It was an exhausting day, but oh. it was so rewarding. And yeah, right now there are, I want to estimate 10 foot drifts probably in the same places. There's just, ah, See, I like it how you said, I don't want to talk about the weather, and then the Minnesotan in us comes out. I know. It's like the next 15 minutes. <laughs> how do we get through this, though? I, I, we're not the only ones that are pissed right now. Go south, my friend. Which is what you're trying to do. Yeah. How far south have you um, researched the snow line? And oh. what are, you know, like as you start thinking about running dogs in places, do you... Do a little research on individual states and what laws there are for running dogs and certain properties like, a, you know, a, a federal property. 
is not open right now because the hunting season isn't open. But a state like in Minnesota, you can run dogs off leash on a WMA. Yep, until April fifteenth or yeah, yeah, April fifteenth. Yeah, so I mean, it all it depends by state and and also by piece of land. But right now, for example. You know, most of Iowa, while they did get snow down to Missouri, that should all melt off. And, and I've had on good authority that there have been a fair amount of woodcock already up into central and even northern Iowa, as well as I know southern and central Illinois also have a pile of woodcock coming back up right now. So that uh, far up already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just seems like we're just stuck in so much. So it's such a deep. We have a we have a contest on Ron Shara's office door right now to guess the snow drift date when it's gonna leave this year like (laughs) it might be june i don't know there's a drift in our parking lot over here that's you know it's treetop high (laughs) yeah to me it just doesn't seem like what are you gonna do up here woodcock don't come yeah i I mean i remember last year like you'd get i mean they were up here the second like right now they were here already and in droves and it's snow, and they hang out and go back down, come back up. It's crazy, like how, yeah, they're just incredible. I mean, birds in general, right? Yeah. They're just incredible that they they know innately. So yeah. that's yeah. a that's a podcast discussion for another time. How mm-hmm. those birds know when and where to go. Yeah, um, it's just fascinating. Actually, uh, I did a I did a story, probably, oh gosh, twelve years ago, maybe more on. Uh, loons and their behavior we went out at night with dnr biologists or maybe not dnr federal biologists and they were doing this study and it was shortly after one of the oil spills down south oh and i don't think you were living down there at that time it might have been before you moved down but essentially we went out at night in a boat with spotlights and in the darkness we played loon calls and then the loons would respond and you knew on the lake where they were. And then we took a bright spotlight and they drove right at them with the spotlight right in their eyes. And it essentially blinds them. And you scoop them up with the musky net. And oh. then you've got this loon with the, you know, they've got a 10 inch beak. I mean, like it is a dagger basically. So the first thing is to get the dagger so it doesn't stab you. And then they did a bunch of samples on the birds and then they, they put, um, uh, uh, like a GPS transmitter in there. Mm-hmm. And they were just really trying to understand a lot more about that bird. And one of the interesting things, and the reason I'm telling you the story, is because the adult loons migrate in, like, August. Mm-hmm. And they're gone for the year. And they head straight to the Gulf of Mexico. This is Minnesota birds. Okay. The the juveniles, the the first of the year birds, yep. they hang out here till like September, October. Some might even say till November. And then they go to the Great Lakes. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. And then from there, they travel down to the Gulf. But all of that is done without their parents. Like there's no adult birds that are part of that flight. There's no Why supervision. Do they go there? Yeah, but they do it every year. That's huh. their that's the path that they go. But they're just like, I don't. I don't understand how they can know all of them. We're going over here without anybody leaving yeah. them. And that's not the path that the parents take. I wonder what what sort of uh, you know evolutionary driver made that yeah. advantageous. Right. Right. For them to do that. Huh. 
Yeah, it's it's just absolutely amazing how they know where to go, when to leave, things like that. Beyond the it's cold, I'm getting out of here, but or huh. frozen water. But it's it's very interesting to me. And you know, you talk about the woodcock that are on their way back up. At what point do they say, I gotta stay right here? I'm not gonna go any further north. Yeah. Or or I'm gonna go back. You know, I Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because obviously, I think a lot of that migration, especially you know, you're talking like Louisiana. It's like it's it could be 80 degrees in January. Yeah, and so like they, you know, and then in February it could be 50 degrees. So it's like I, I think a lot of it is like photo periodism that drives. Yep, I've heard that. Um, but then once they get up here, then they've got to play that game of, you know, I, I probably should stop here because they obviously can't probe. For anything when right they have to have soft enough ground yeah. to reach food so yeah. i don't know uh they're gonna be nesting i mean we're technically like a month away yeah. from when they should be i don't know that i feel like you know central minnesota and like south central mm-hmm. we probably have the most snow here i don't think northern minnesota has as much De- just depends um you know you uh, you look up look up along the obviously the north shore and up in the arrowhead that's like they've got what did they say a hundred and like up by duluth 116 inches i think it is or 112 yeah some so i think it was the ninth snowiest winter in duluth and i just saw something about bismarck north dakota being close to a record as well i mean they're in their top 10 for sure interestingly enough though i had lunch with the um North Dakota tourism director last week because mm. he was in town for the Northwest Sports Show. <clears throat> and we were talking about just kind of how the the snow has, you know, affected things. Um, there's a line, though, in North Dakota. And this is something that people are going to want to, like, write this down or put this, store it up top. <laughs> in the memory bank. The southern, you know, basically 94 south has been really hit hard. North of 94, it has not received the snow. There are parts of North Dakota, northern North Dakota right now that do not have snow. Some of those same areas had a lot of birds last year. A lot. And so they had a mild winter up there. We had a lot of snow, but we haven't had the cold that we've had in a typical winter. So there are going to be places, despite this drastic winter that we're all sick of, there are going to be places that are going to be prime for a great breakout or like continue with the success that was built. Because last year, I mean, I feel like my personal experience was the best bird hunting I have seen in my lifetime. You're pretty much almost across the board, too. Yeah. And it it's... wasn't like it was just Minnesota, just yeah. North Dakota, just South Dakota, Iowa. I mean, there was the drought parts of Kansas. Yeah. The numbers were down there. But you know, other, I, I just didn't yeah. spend that much time there. So the places that I hunted were just full of birds and you were out West, mm-hmm. way West. What did you see out West as far as birds? You know, and I have no, no frame of reference, yeah, but you can't compare it to like the last 20 yeah, years. When I was going, exactly. But. but you know, from people I talked to, especially out in like Oregon and whatnot, uh, chucker wise, it was mm-hmm. like, this is a great year to come out here. There are a pile of birds. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and then even in Montana, um, you know, there were still areas in Montana that saw drought, but pretty dang good. I mean, the, the bird hunting was still, and that's going to happen every year, right? Like certain areas yep. you're going to see drought, but Buckets. you know, across the board, it was, it was a good year. 
How about your trip south? You you had uh, mm-hmm. like one of your benders that you go yep. on. <laughs> I don't know if it was a three week trip or close just to over a, two weeks over or something weeks. like that. Yeah. Where did you go and explain what was going on in your mind? Like, where am I? <laughs> how am I going to get to Arizona and hunt my way there and back? Well, I uh, I so kind of what spurred it on. Well, I was planning on doing this trip ever or anyways. We was going to go down there and meet up with uh, Chad Love, who's the editor of, of Quail That's Forever right. Journal. And meet up with him, and we were gonna do a hunt on on video or whatever. And uh, and so I was going down there. And then I was like, well, if I'm down here, might as well do Arizona. And then I was like, well, if if I'm gonna be in New Mexico and Arizona, then I should probably just stop in Kansas on my way down too. Sure, makes sense. So yeah, right, like totally logical. <laughs> yeah, and that's not the first time you've done this trip though how is it compared to previous hunts um so in terms of i never hunted new mexico for birds um but i've hunted arizona and arizona this year was was pretty incredible it was a pretty banner year for merns uh and with with that i mean everyone that that was no surprise that was uh no secret definitely not a secret it was it was busy you know you have to you just had to get in out of the way places but you know being such a good bird year um you know on bad bird years that means only like only the prime habitat is going to hold birds and then you get banner years for birds and that means that marginal habitat is also going to hold birds so um you know we were finding them in areas that it's like man, i don't know this doesn't look very good which that that was how you kind of got out of the way of people mm-hmm. um and then in new mexico too new mexico um a lot of people when they think burns or montezuma quail they think of you know that area in southern arizona that that's kind of like the mecca but there are a pile of merns i mean i think they're a pile of merns in new mexico um we hunted them there and actually they stretch their range stretches all the way to about san antonio texas really yeah so you're you're on the far southern edge of new mexico right yes and and, and they were i mean they'll move all the way up into to, central new mexico almost so the montezuma will yeah interesting because mm-hmm. they the habitat is the same there then or are they venturing into habitat they're not supposed to be in it it looks different so it's not live oaks no no it is there are some oak mixed in but if you were up there um you'd say this does not this is not we're definitely not in arizona really yeah so you and i've talked about this new mexico has been a place that i've really wanted to get the last couple of years and i was like gosh i was just going crazy up here you guys are down there having the time of your life mm-hmm. and i was sitting up in the snowdrifts here um how does new mexico compare from your experience to hunting the desert birds in arizona because i think there's a possibility to spread this out a little bit we mm-hmm. don't all hunters don't all need to go straight down to arizona's southern border and hunt the same spot yeah um, you know, I, I think that that area just sees, sees the popularity just, you know, because that is, I mean, there are definitely probably more Merns there, I would say than anywhere else, but, um, like the, the areas, I think we got into in, in one spot in New Mexico, we got into, I think like five or six coveys in, and after in like three hours. So like, heck that's, I think anybody would take that. Right. Yeah. But I hunted new mexico for i think seven days okay and only saw one bird hunter 
and and that was in the hotel on the last day <laughs> as we were coming back home. Was he actually hunting there or just stopping on his way through? He was he was just stopping. He was actually of all things he was from St. Paul. Unbelievable. Yeah, just that and that is the only bird hunter we saw the entire like I'm talking driving spot to spot driving cuz we I hunted three different areas in in um New Mexico and not even driving didn't see anyone pulled off on the side of the road. Didn't see anyone wearing blaze orange with a dog trailer or dog boxes. So we've talked about this in the past on previous episodes, like how you go about finding where you're going to hunt. Mm-hmm. Obviously on X hunt, you can do a lot of pre scouting, but until you get there, um, until you get there, you don't know for sure what you're seeing. And then you verify it with your eyes mm-hmm. and then you put together your plan based on that as well. Um, but going to New Mexico like you did, is there the uh, same amount of public opportunities as you see in Arizona? Oh, I would say just just, just as much, if not more, even. Yeah. That's that's a thing that you know we've talked about this a little bit, but I've had people like we were at a live show maybe in I don't know January or something, and the guy from Iowa comes up and he's like, "What do you guys think about all this pressure that's been put on the birds, and what do you attribute that to?" And I. You know, the reality is we're we're not deer hunters sitting in a deer stand on a 40-acre, 180-acre to, mm-hmm. you know, 640-acre section. Like, that's your spot for the year. Yep. Like, bird hunters are moving. We're always on the go. We never stop, really, from your one chunk of land to the public. You know, so, yeah, I mean, there's so many resources now saying, you know, people that might listen to this or, or you know, Tyler Webster's podcast or other people that are talking about, I'm here right now, this is what I'm seeing, and they're like, I want in on that, you know, or they blame sometimes he's like, well, you know, you put this TV show out now there's a bunch of people here and it's like, well, you know, it's what's, what's the balance there. But I don't know Well, you get, you get West, like you're talking New Mexico, Arizona, those places. And yes, there's a lot of pressure, but can you put that into perspective for somebody that's hunting out there to what we, we live every day here? I mean, like, in, and when we go, I mean, you and I run dogs and we go out on some properties not far from our place here and the amount of traffic those pieces yeah. get every day, over and over, seven days a week, hunting opening day to the end of the season. And, and the, it's a tiny section of what is available the further west you go. Yeah. And for example, you pick a, a spot in Minnesota here, you know, a good looking one, even say it's out three hours west of the cities. I bet that probably gets hit every single weekend mm-hmm. where I think this area I hunted in New Mexico, I would be, it wouldn't surprise me if they said, if somebody, if, you know, all knowing power said, no, not one person has been here this whole year. Wow. Yeah. And then, then you turn around and you look across this big flat and the same thing stretches for, I, I think I did the square miles, but it was like 50 miles by like 75 miles of, of just like, I mean, it was not all public, but it was like the same habitat pretty much just stretches that far. So like, wow. I mean, just, yeah, it's the, putting it into perspective, the opportunities that are available, it just takes the one, you got to have the time Mm -hmm. and the finances, obviously to take the time off and go on these trips. But I always tell people like, if you have the chance you know, it's so common for bird hunters to have their spot. A week of the year, we're going to go out after Thanksgiving for a week in North Dakota or South Dakota or whatever it might be, and that's our hunt for the year. But 
my goodness, if you go the extra, take that week and take a couple of the guys and go somewhere and hunt in the mountains that you've never been before. Yeah. Or I don't know. I just, I've fallen in love, just madly in love with Birds of the West and the yes. landscape out there. Um, it makes it not that it's not enjoyable to go walk in cattails here in Minnesota, but mm. like, you know, <laughs> I, I, I yeah. just, I'm in love with the West. I yeah. really am. I could see moving out there someday. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, probably a lot to do with is, is you know, we grew up doing this. We, we've done it for, yeah. so there, Hey, there's that nostalgia, but then you go out and do go out West and it's like, it's a whole new world. Right. And a whole new bird to figure out. Um, so that guy, for me, that adds mm-hmm. a lot of that excitement. If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. I love my dog, and like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year-round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource high-performance dog food. Nutrisource dog food comes with their good-for-life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand, and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help your dog reach their full potential. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Gosh, I... I wanted to do rapid fire, Brandon. Is it too late? <laughs> no, it's never too late. Okay, never. so I was going to loosen you up, Ben, okay. with this rapid fire. <laughs> all right. Here's the deal. I'm going to ask you a question. You got to say quick the first thing that comes to mind, all right? This could be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. It could be. All right. Name of your first dog? Annie. Well, yeah. All right. Deal. Okay. First up one bird you ever shot? Uh, gross. Rough gross. Minnesota? Yep. Right, same here. No, actually, Wisconsin. Really? Yep. Wisconsin. Oh, we can't be friends anymore then. It's all right. Mine was in Minnesota. Yeah. If you can only hunt with one dog, what breed are you taking in the field? Oh, pointer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A tool you always take with you in the field. Can't say Onyx. <laughs> <laughs> can't Thank say. you. Thank you. Hemostat. Okay. How many times have you had to use it? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because you have German dogs? You German dogs, cactus, <laughs> etc. Favorite state to hunt upland birds? Montana. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. If you can't hunt upland birds, what are you hunting? Ducks. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were going to say elk. Oh, that's a pretty fun one, too. <laughs> Favorite snack to take on a road trip? Ooh, I don't know what they're called. Um, oh, Stroop waffles. What? Yep. That's a great one. What is it? Stroop waffle. Yeah, it's a, it's it's basically sugar, but it's yeah. these two tiny tiny thin waffle like things with like caramel syrup stuff in the middle. Set it on top of your coffee. Yeah, morning gets nice and soft. It's Ooh. so good. Yeah, it's a guilty pleasure of mine. Stroop 
Stroop S-T-R-O-O-P. Where do you get it? Mac and Tunes. In Waconia? Yep. Come on. Yeah. It's not like uh, Mrs. Uh, Vander, Vanderwall's um, Kuken. Oh, Panda Kuken? Uh, no, no. Kuken. No, okay. This is a North Dakota <laughs> okay, thing. That's oh, the, okay. the, the cake deal? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. basically a pastry that uh, it's like in the shape of a pie. Yeah. Grandma Lois. Oh Van yeah, yeah. Wall makes it, and you Kugan. yeah, Kugan. I, yeah. and it's like uh, you That's have it crazy. with coffee in the morning when you wake up out in the prairie, and it is like the best thing you've ever put in your mouth. I'm serious, it is so good. Remember the first time? What was it? Was it brought that? We were in Montana, what, so we would it, just George and George and I yeah. were camping in the Badlands. And Aaron Ochtenberg, yep, that's what our it was. videographer on this, he's from North Dakota. So he brought this to camp and we're like, oh my gosh. So as we're leaving, there it is. is, yeah. is it? There's a bunch of different yep. flavors, peach and pump. I mean, and I think it's just German for cake. I, I think, think that's it all. That's, exactly, yeah. that's the first thing yeah. it says, German for cake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it is <laughs> yeah. so good. So then we picked up some more as we were driving across the border and camping in Montana in the windiest four days yeah. in Montana's history. Anyway. And then now every time I drive through North Dakota, it's like the, the lady at the gas station checkout will look at me like, you want all these? And I'll bring back a stack. Yes, of like 10 exactly. Of them. <laughs> there was one time when they said, that's too many, sir. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? Save, well, some, for to save some for other that, people. That's not a thing. No, I, this is America. You <laughs> tell me that I want all this cake. Okay. So uh, we got sidetracked. Favorite bird to hunt? Grouse. Yeah. Least favorite bird to hunt? No comment. <laughs> You're going to say pheasant. Yeah. I know you are. Well, I've never hunted them, but I refuse to hunt Himalayan snowcock. You refuse? We'll never do it. Why? Because you can't bring a dog? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, that's not upland bird hunting to me. It's still a hunt, though. It's a hunt, yeah, but it's mm. not a, I, like, when someone says, like, they're upland bird slam, I do not include You don't them. include them in it? No. No, no, nothing against the bird, but it is just not a, like, I think dogs play a huge part in. I understand. Yeah. You can only hunt with one person for the rest of your life who you've taken. My dad. Mm. Well done. Well done. What was the name of that snack again? Stroopwaffle. Stroopwaffle. You got to I've got to try it. Down. And they have different flavors of them too now, but like the original is just caramel, but yeah. it's, it's it's really good. It's it's a great pick me up for the morning. Coffee and a stroopwaffle. Plenty of sugar rush for the day. All right. Okay. Yep. Um congrats again raising 2 million dollars. Let's dig into this. Yep. Okay, so the event was called the 40X event. Uh, I think that there were probably quite a few people listening that went to that event. You had a band and explain Well, this was at Pheasant Fest a couple weeks ago, but ex- take me back to like, well, maybe, yeah, take us back to the early stages of this. How did this come about and why did you want to do this? Yeah. So, I mean, kind of the, the, from the beginning, it was, the goal was to just bring people together. We want, I, I talked to Chris Callis at, at Pheasants Forever and he, said like, Hey, I want to do an event where we can just, I want to get people together. Right. I mean, it's such a cool place. You've never been there. I mean, think about, you've got 30,000 bird hunters all together. Right. Mm-hmm. And that our, our community is so cool. I mean, it's just awesome people. And so anytime we can just bring them together. So that was like the, the kind of the original idea is just, I want to have a, a party and just get people together, have fun. And then so uh, you went to Onyx to your team and said, guys, I want to throw a party. Yep. Yep. And they're like, yeah, have at, have at it. 
And then the fundraising aspect, how does that come into it? Well, you know, so from that original idea of, of, yeah, let's just get people together. It's like, well, you know, we've got all these people together. Like we are here supporting pheasants and quail forever. Um, we're, we're gathering these people at like, we're all here. We're all, well, most of us are hunters mm -hmm. and then we all care about the birds, right? No matter if it's quail, pheasants, et cetera. Yep. Um, so it's like, well, let's, let's tie in this aspect. And I, I was actually, uh, we were brainstorming, you know, it was a, it was a 40th anniversary, um, lots of things floating around. And I was, I was talking to, uh, Andrew Willard, another bird hunter on our team. And, and he came to pheasant fest last year and he's like, well, you know, I know at one point you told me that, you know, they pheasants forever in the state of Minnesota, they'll match up to 40 X. And it was just like light bulbs, like, whoa. 40X. Yep. And, and the, the thing is, is, you know, the other reason we chose that is because it is, it's a story that hasn't been told um, to a lot of, you know, a lot of the public doesn't understand that. And it's, you know, as we got further down the line, it was like, it was almost a lot of people were like, this is too good to be true. So like we raised, you know, $2 million of, 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 funding that will reach the landscape. Right. Uh -huh. And I think, you know, with that, I think we ended up, it was a donation of $50,000, which ended up creating $2 million worth of habitat on the ground. And that's, we can get into the, the funding mechanism. I think we should, because yeah. I want to let people get a sense of how this money multiplies over and over and over again. And potentially they can do this in another state, mm -hmm. you know, if this opportunity, I know this is a, yep. this is unique to Minnesota where this event was held, mm -hmm. but let's see if we can't grow this thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I might butcher some of the details. So that's there's fine. probably somebody out there that's like, no, this is wrong. <laughs> right. It's just like, just wait till spring and easy. Like we'll be all right yeah. <laughs> until your mood improves. <laughs> um, but so. Let's just say let's take um, let's take a thousand dollars, and I'm gonna have to get my calculator out to make sure my math. This is easy math, but so if I donated a thousand dollars to Pheasants Forever in the state of Minnesota, that will be matched at forty x, right? Yeah. So that is forty thousand dollars, and how that happens is, um, and this sorry, that thousand dollars can be raised whether it's through Partners in conservation, you know, sponsors like Federal, like us, Onyx, uh, Polaris, all these different people, um, as well as as private donors, um, chapters. So they raise this, say they raise $1,000. And then what Pheasants Forever does is they utilize that, that bank of money to go to um, different federal um, Federal agencies, state agencies, in Minnesota, for example, um, you know, if you don't know the, I'm sure you know, but the the lottery, yep, I can't remember what percentage of the lottery money money goes back to. to yeah, I, I, uh, I, I so, don't want to butcher it either, but there is a percentage that goes in from the lottery. There's also Lassard Sam's Council yep. Heritage Fund money, point, I believe it's point four percent of a percent of every dollar spent, you know, gets taxed in mm -hmm. Minnesota, which amounts to millions and millions of dollars that we set aside that we've voted, American mm -hmm. Minnesotans have voted 
for this tax that goes towards our natural resources. Yeah. So is it like for the lottery, it's the Environmental Natural Resources Trust Fund. Yep. That was established in like 1988 with, with overwhelming support for it. Um, so then they will go, they will go to something like that Lassard Sam Council and say, "Hey, we have this much money," and and they'll kick in money. And and the the I think this is where it might get a little hairy, but a lot of these programs require like a, a funding match. So you look on the federal level, for example. Um, and it's like the North Americans wetland. Uh, I'm going to butcher that. Anyways, uh, like these different things require like, okay, you need one to, we'll do a one-to-one match. So you donate a thousand dollars, we'll donate a thousand dollars. So it's, it's more enticing, enticing for them to get grants because they do have all this funding that, uh-huh. you know, as, as a pheasants forever, quail forever mem- member, we are, we're helping out. Right. Mm-hmm. So that allows them to be looked on more favorably for funding because they do have these funds at their disposal to get that match. So it's also important, though, that you have an organization that is basically holding this money. So, like, let's say Brandon and I raised $40,000 or so, just the two of us, and we'd, we'd show up to the Capitol and say, we got 40 grand, we want you guys to match it 40 times. Will they do that? So I don't know that they so will. no my the answer is no because somebody has got to go that's where the pheasants forever team in and how amazing yeah. they are they'll come in and take that money and work their butts off to to get that forty x match that forty to one match I guess theoretically though we could Brandon if we decided we wanted to create our own nonprofit you know and have a plan because. Lassard Sam's council is put together and they receive all of these pitches. It's a sales mm-hmm. pitch. So basically we, we have this that we want to do stream rehabilitation, wetland rehabilitation, prairie rehab, whatever it might be. And this is the project we want to do. We need this much money. They take all of this millions of dollars and they say, we're going to allocate 2 million here, 5 million here, 1 million here, 500,000 here, mm-hmm. 10 million here. You know what I mean? So if we had a proposal that we could say, here's how we're going to do it, I yeah. guess they probably could. Oh, uh, yeah, and, for and sure. And so in, a, in, in the, all the different matches around, you know, you, t- you guys raised 50000 that ends up being $2 million. Mm-hmm. How much did you guys kick in? So, we, so uh, for our 40X event, um, well, all you had to do was you, we had a big map on the wall and it said, hey, just put a pin in your favorite state or if you didn't want to show your hunting state yep. that you like to hunt, whatever, if you, you could put it in your home state. And for every pin, we would donate $40. I remember when I put my pin in, they're like, you want to put another one in? I was like, well, that would be cheating. I can't do that. They're like, well, we're counting the pins. Yeah. So I only did one pin. Oh. Yeah. I should have put, put 500 in. Yeah. Um, so like we had, I think it was like 600 some pins in there and just said, oh, we're going to round it up to, to $25,000. And Onyx donated. Yep, just twenty five thousand. Yep, just on the behalf of you know every person that came there. The more people we had come, the more money we were going to donate. So, and on top of that, you had um, you had hats, one time hat offer, twenty five dollars for every hat. Right? Yep. How'd so that one come about that was interesting. So um, uh, Matt Davis with Final Rise, he said, "Hey, I want to you know I want to get involved," and and we had a booth with them this year. 
uh, and and he came up with this idea and just took it and ran with it. He said, "Hey, I'm going to make these hats." And and I was like, "Okay, sounds good." And then next thing you know, it's like they're here. It's like, "Dang, Matt, like you really went with this. Yeah. Like, good job." How many did he make? A thousand. So he wanted to. So it was a thousand. They're they're co-branded, and he wanted to. Yeah, he wanted to raise an additional million dollars for for habitat and access it's amazing yeah so as it stands right now we're in middle of march are there any of those hats still remaining yep so i just got a text and let's see here there are still about 200 left 200 left so you so sold about 800 that's, 800 that's awesome okay yep 200 hats left if you are listening right now and you want it's a very sharp looking hat by the mm -hmm. way blaze orange if you want one of these, Brandon, here's how you go about doing it. So, oh, so I'm a, no, Ben, how do you do it? I'm gonna you tell oh, Brandon because then, gotcha. Yeah, you mean Venmo you forty dollars <laughs> for a hat? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, is that how I get one? He started. He started the started by trying to say, "Hey, and you want one of these hats to support it?" And he's like, 40 bucks, right?" I almost paid $40 like, for that. Sure. This is what they're <laughs> laughing at. Okay. I did not pay 40 but I would. Yeah. Because I know right? where it's going. Yeah, yeah. So I paid 20 It's the hats are $25. And you don't Venmo me. <laughs> it's too late. I already <laughs> Venmo you. <laughs> do I get the hat? <laughs> so don't do that. I um, want to help get rid of these hats. Yes. Because we know where this is going. Yep. It's a great cause. It's a great investment. Yes. yes. So, so what you'll do is you can go on the Final Rise website, and they're they're right there on the homepage. You'll okay. see the the Onyx Forty X Onyx Final Rise Forty X hat. Um, purchase that, and then once all those are sold, a hundred percent of that will go to pheasants, pheasants and quill forever. Um, the actual holding of that much money for what you guys are doing, I mean, that's a large sum of money. Um, Anything that you set up to hold that in the meantime is is Matt to have a Venmo account that's exploding right now and he's just gonna send it on over to Presence Forever. I mean, yeah, I mean I think you it's get just... in the weeds here a little bit on some of this, but I'm just trying to talk through the details in case somebody says, I'd like to do a fundraising event like this. Yeah, I mean I, I Pheasants Forever there, I mean, obviously open to to just they'll take your money, right? Like yeah. that's yeah, they're more than happy to. Um, you know, like obviously if you're just planning on doing something like this, definitely go reach out, talk to somebody there, mm -hmm. um, for you in terms of using their logos, their name and likeness, that kind of thing. Just sure. so, yeah. So they're all cool with that. Everywhere that I, um, you know, in the, not everywhere, but I should say, I feel like everywhere I turn lately, Onyx is supporting something. The generosity. I mean, you guys kicked in twenty five. You threw a party, paid the tab on that free beer yeah. for people, and then on top of that, you threw in twenty five thousand dollars. You know, um, and this isn't the first time that you guys have stepped up like this. If there's an event somewhere, a banquet, doesn't matter where it is, I see a donation from Onyx. You're supporting every conservation organization in America, I believe, right? I don't know one that you're not, maybe. There's probably some. Yeah, there's maybe. definitely some. But like we, we try our best to... Where does this generosity stem from? Does this come from the top? The owner of the company says this is a mission that we want to do. I mean, it's not going unnoticed. And it's a great thing, obviously. Yeah, so this is, like you said, this was 
kind of Eric Siegfried, who is the founder of Onyx, like this is, this was his jam, like access, getting more people, creating more public access. Cause he saw the writing on the wall, right? What we're experiencing, what we talked about before is, is, you know, public land is getting more crowded. It's become a thing, right? Yeah. So how do you combat, combat that? It's through creating more access. Yeah. Um, and so that's all fine and dandy, right? Like that's awesome. Like Eric had the vision, but then what I think is really cool is that as that, I mean, that was a vision when that company was three people, right? Mm -hmm. But then now we have, you know, when you get three, 400 employees and, and you take on funding and it becomes a much bigger, right? I mean, this is capitalism. We're trying to make money, right? Yeah. But then to still hold those same values and for them to be upheld by our, our CEO and all of our, our, you know, C-suite staff and our board to say like, yes, we are still dedicated to donating. I mean, donating profit, right? We like, this is part of fundamentally who we are at Onyx. I think for a hunter that uses your app or maybe is thinking about using it to know that you're generosity you know like it's easy to support that i would want to support companies that are you know putting this kind of value on the resources and trying to create more of it and standing up for what we all believe in together i mean it makes it you want to support that kind of uh generosity i do anyway yeah yeah i mean i'm i am i am wildly proud to, to work for the company and yeah. for, for them to, yeah, for, for them, because they don't have to do that, right? Right. Like, that is money that could go into the bank, but without, you know, without the hunters, without the public land, you know, we wouldn't be where we are today. So, that, I mean, we, we want to see for our, our future generations for 20 years from now, whatever, that, that we still have the same, if not more opportunities in in a landscape that is is saying, hey, this might not be a reality. Right. What is on the horizon that you can share with us at Onyx? Anything exciting that you're looking forward to? Any more fundraisers like this? Anything new on the app besides the one that you and I keep yeah. talking about? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, f- for next year, Sioux Falls, uh, what March first, second, third? Is that mm. I think. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. We first got enough sec- time to clear that up. First, second, third of March, yeah. we're going to be going bigger. And we're going to, whether it's it's another, you know, so kind of circling back. So, like, obviously, Minnesota is a 40X, but each state is different, right? So, yeah. nationwide, nationwide, I think they, an average of a 3X match, right? So, um, you know, who knows what, what the fundraising mechanism is going to be next year, but, um, you know, it's... Take a look at walk-in areas, for example, right? Yep. Paying private land open to sportsmen, those those uh, landowners have got to be compensated, right? And you look at what like Kansas has done, what South Dakota has we done, has. North Dakota, yep. right? Minnesota. Yep. Um, and while you know it's not necessarily permanently protected habitat, like Pheasants Forever is doing with their build a wildlife areas, yep. which is what this this money will be donated to access in Minnesota. Um, you know, that's a great way to make access in the near term, right. To, to, to make some of those public lands less crowded, because I can tell you what, uh, dollars $50,000 will get you a heck of a lot more acres lease to hunt than it will for you to buy it. Right. So 
So just, just, I mean, then that's also part of our mission, right? Like we are actively donating money to, I can't remember the, the split of how we donate money, but we're also donating to temporary access because that is very important to, to keep these public lands less crowded. As far as features that you guys are working on, can you share anything at this time? Um, we'll, I mean, as we get further here towards, towards summer, we'll, we'll start rolling out, out things, but, um, We've got a number of things that are gonna that should hit the app pretty soon. Um, one of them is a new compass tool. So in the past, if you double click that that crosshairs in your bottom right corner of the app, you would see a blue uh, kind of, of like angle. A, yep. And so anyway, you face your phone. That's what it would orient. Kind of if you were in a boat, it would be instead of north up, it would be what do they call it? Heading up. Heading up. Yep. So whatever way you're facing, that'll show. But now um, it'll be improved a bit. So uh, instead of, of just that blue arrow, you'll have a, a line essentially stend, extending out into the map with hash marks on it. So you can easily see, okay. Distance-wise, yep, how distance, far that is. The truck is 200 yards. And now I'm facing, you know, if you're, in, if you're trying to navigate by um, like compass headings. Yep. Yeah, like my on my Lawrence graph on my boat, I can do a quarter mile, half mile, mile on mm -hmm. that extension, so that I know when I zoom out, you know, distance from here to that spot. And yep. yeah, yeah, nice. Anything else that we can discuss at this time, or is it all? It's 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 all into it's a lot of it's in development. Yeah, there is there is a fair amount. Yeah, um, and, and then, that's that's a cool thing. You guys are always working on something else and taking in uh, feedback from hunters too. I know when I come up with an idea, a lot of times you're already working on it, you tell me, but it's good to know that, you know, the, hey, this idea I think would make the app a little better, and you say, love it. Let's see what we can do there. Yep. Um, some of the other cool things that are coming now just, just spurred my memory is, you know, obviously um, aerial imagery is super important, right? So we're mm -hmm. always, I mean, that's one of the big things on it. Like, you don't want to see old aerial imagery, right? Um, and that's, you know, it's actually difficult getting aerial imagery that meets our our size our scale for a number of users so um always look, looking for new avenues because the interesting thing is about you know when you talk about satellites and aerial imagery surprise i mean not surprisingly but a lot of the big companies for example like google um they are more interested in 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 um getting aerial imagery of cities of urban areas right that's why you look out in some nowhere town and wherever that we want to go to. Yeah. That's why it's not as flown as often, right? Because they want to take pictures of where the people are, where the people are most using, which is not purposely is not the, where we're going. Right. So um, working on some, some high frequency, lower resolution imagery where, you know, you might have a new picture every month or every two weeks. Wow. nationwide wow depending on cloud cover all these different things so um that's that's, that's exciting because I mean, well i suppose it, i don't know how often it's updated right now but i mean every two weeks that's going to show you what's in <laughs> standing in the crop fields yeah yeah i mean and it, it is going to be lower resolution you won't be able to hit a zoom level with the clarity that you can now but um you know, on a little bit more macro level, you'll be able to, yeah, you'll be able to see, okay, they harvested that. 
um, I think it's like I could, you could probably see a combine in the field type of situation. So, Jeepers. I mean, what more can you ask for yeah. when you're going on a hunting trip? Mm-hmm. I can quickly look and see if Bill took his soybeans out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's crazy. Yeah. So, so wow. things like that that are, you know, seemingly small, and then there's all yeah, all these little improvements that kind of collectively could just create a better experience for just gets for better and better you bird hunters out there we are spoiled we should never complain about the snow drifts again oh yeah. that winter is kind of dragging on <laughs> <laughs> all right all right yep. uh trials coming up that you're excited about if yes. they don't get canceled if they don't get canceled yeah so i run run cover dog trials which are all on on grouse and woodcock with with amos and while they, you know, we've, I think our first trial was supposed to start at the end of March here, but that's going to get, that's going to get canceled. Canceled or rescheduled? Well, we've got some that are rescheduled, some that will be pushed back. But the thing is, 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 uh, there is a window you know, where you can't run. Yeah. There's a nesting season. So we run up against that where it's April, April 15th. So we've got to get them in before then, you know, Wisconsin, um, like it's, it is, it's an interesting deal. So like you take years like this, for example, where we're going to be, we're condensed, right? We might only get a week to run them. Um, it's, it's, I, I mean, I definitely understand why it's there in place, yep. but um, I would say field trials are not like, they are not a cause of mortality, right? I was talking to a guy in the club that said in 40 years, they've, you know, they've never injured a chick or an egg or caught a bird or anything like that. So I, I get it puts a little stress, but a year like this, um, you know, those birds aren't nesting. They're, they probably won't start nesting into later April, right? So, um, but states like Wisconsin, we can run later in the season. So, um, but yeah, I'm I'm looking always looking forward to that. Getting the dogs out, getting them. It's it's essentially for me. It's like a hunt, second hunting season, right? And I don't care about shooting the birds, right? Shoot a shoot a cap starter, gun. yeah. Shoot a cap gun at it, and and. But you get the bird work, right? You're out there, so. Um, I've never ran a trial, and I'm interested in it because I'm like you. I just want to be out there. Mm-hmm. Is it pretty basic to get into them? Yeah, it's 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 pretty simple, and the people there more so are are great, like very helpful. When I started, it, which has been I think two or couple of, couple of years ago now, um, super helpful, nice. Yeah, all you have to do is. Um, you, uh, if you look on American field, their website, which is now owned by the UKC, um, you can look at a calendar of the trials. And if you see a cover dog trial or a grouse trial, that is, that is always going to be a walking trial. Um, the hard thing for me initially was looking at which trials were, uh, horseback, right? Mm-hmm. Cause there were a lot of horseback trials. You still have a horse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does your wife know about the horse? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, bit bit brandon <laughs> <laughs> i'll hit that button <laughs> um but yeah so there's there's the horseback trials uh that obviously the barrier to entry is a lot higher but if you look at the cover dog trials yep. you look at nbha which is uh you know they've got a lot of trials over in wisconsin those are all walking trials gotcha. so that that barrier to entry is much lower um, I am going to go run a horseback trial out in Montana this year. You are going to do it. Yep. I knew you were. I'm going, going to Montana, so that'll be fun. Um, but yeah, it's a great way to meet people, get your dogs out. If you've got a young dog, they've got, so they've got different stakes for different age dogs. Um, puppy, if you've got a young dog, like a puppy steak or a derby, they don't need to be broke. 
Uh, it's essentially you go have fun, run around a you know a half hour course, and find a bird. If not, you know yeah. they're look judging it just as much off the run as they are uh, the bird finding ability. So, uh, your dog Amos is two yet, right? Yes, he okay, just turned so two. Does he? He just turned, or he's not? He just turned two in, um, in February. So would he run against the adults or mm, not yet? So this will be his last derby year. Okay. So this spring will be his last year that he is eligible to run Derby, and then come next fall he'll have to run as a shooting dog. So um, Daisy would be she's just turned three yesterday, so she would be she would, a different. She class. would be you to run her in the, the shooting dog, which is a, a broke stake, so they have to be steady to to wing and shot. Okay, so should I do it? I would. It's super- I can I mean, I want to. I just I. I just have to do it, I guess. I just have to sign up. And yeah. can you sign up the day of, or do you have to sign up in advance? So normally they do the drawing like the week, the week leading up to it. If it's say it's a uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday trial, a lot of the times they'll draw on like a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday type deal. So, um, you know, you can it can be almost right up to it. But you know, it's it yeah, it costs depending fifty, sixty bucks to run a dog. And I always tell people, well, the worst thing that happens is is you know they find a bird. You shoot and the dog breaks, and then you know you, you have to pick it up. But really, like there's, it happens frequently, so it's not like you don't have to be embarrassed or yeah. Um, but yeah, that just being involved in that, it's made me a definitely made me a better dog handler. And anytime any excuse like that to get you out into the field, right? Right, more contacts with your dog. Yeah, just- you feel the pressure a little bit of well. Oh man, I got to get my dog like this spring. It's like there's added pressure of like I've got to get my dog in shape. I've got to get out there. So it's I, I like it because it's that added incentive to to go work your dog, which is never a bad thing. How much in how much time? I know we have to wrap this up, but how much time do you invest in training before a trial like that? I mean, being that it's been for you only a few weeks since you've been hunting, but for the average hunter up here in the Midwest, it's been a couple months. Yeah. Um, so, so let's take last year, for example, which is a more typical year. I probably got out, um, you know, before, before the trial season started, we went out to George's mm-hmm. a couple times. Um, so I ran four days there and then before the trials, I think I probably ran on Woodcock and Grouse, maybe, maybe three, three, like, I don't know, probably another four or five hours. So really so not that much, not, really. not that much. No. Yeah. Um, do you feel like took like one bird and Amos was back in game shape. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a lot of it is, is they're, they're hyped up, especially not after running. So mm-hmm. you're, you're not running these dogs on a GPS, right? Like you can't use a collar. So it's all off of voice. So just a lot of it is, is getting that dog used to being back in the woods, being able to keep them out in front of you. And have that connection again with that dog and just kind of knocking that rust off, right? Here's my struggle is I can't hear very well. Uh, you know, so you can still run the bell on Amos, right? Yep, so You yep. can hear him. So you're listening for You're him. listening. And that GPS signaling Daisy 225 yards in the woods, I can't hear. You know, like that's where I've always gone back to. 
I don't know that I can do it. I don't know that I'm going to do her justice because she might be standing still and I can't tell the difference. Yeah. Well, the nice thing is you get a scout, so I can help you out. Oh. Yeah. Travis. Yeah, because like I feel like you're always a scout. Daisy's on point. I can hear. It. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, okay. And then I get the business. <laughs> well, that's perfect. You can because she'll listen to you. She'll get around. She probably wouldn't listen to me, right? But I could say, all right, Travis. Yeah. Well, I don't yeah. know. I mean. I think if you handle her and release her, she's going to listen to you. She listens yeah. to George. She yeah. listens to me. Well, she, she, Of course, she listens to the legend. But right, she, to the legend. <laughs> Speaking of the legend himself, we are going to hopefully set up, I don't know if it's going to be a series. I mean, there's been enough feedback and demand or drive or want or desire for more of that, mm-hmm. you know, in his, um, in his man, uh, man, what do we call his garage setup out there? The kennel. The kennel. Just yeah. the kennel, in the kennel, um, you know, and there's so much knowledge there. My goodness. I can't wait to get back out there. We're all in this wait and get rid of the snow drift yeah. mode, but like just the amount of information he has and he has a desire to share it now. He's yeah. all fired up. He's all jacked uh, up. Yeah. So this is, like, I guess, a call to action. You know, we had, we talked about it collectively of, George, you should, you should start, you know, let's host a seminar. Yes. So that's, that's, Ben, you're right. If anyone that says, will George, will you guys do a seminar, a live one? So maybe we can do a seminar. He's fired up right now. Yeah. Find him out. He's not on Instagram. So if you're out there and you (laughs) want George Lyle to give a seminar wherever, send him a message. Yeah. Gosh, send Travis an email. Yeah. So then Travis can go. I'll forward it to George or you can find the cowboy on Facebook. He (laughs) is on Facebook. George Lyle. And send him a message, say, George, please do a seminar. I think, I think it's ripe right now. I think yep. this is the time he'll, he'll say yes to it and we can set one up. Uh, I mean, it would be fun. I'd look forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that. Um, congrats again. $2 million. Can't wait to see what you guys are going to put together next. There are still some hats available. Yep. One less because I got one, Brandon. You're going to get one? Now? Oh, sure. Why not? Yeah. Up, up, it's $60. <laughs> All right. Yes. Thanks, Thanks Venmo. Venmo directly to Venmo. Directly I got it. To I got it. Yeah. He's uh, the only Ben Bredigan on Venmo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, All right. Uh, we'll end it right there. Uh, appreciate you coming in today, and good luck on the trials coming up. As always, I appreciate it. Yeah. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast. Yeah.